Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast on Switch Sport with Kevin Moore and Ross Thorpe. And our guest this week is Nikki Mars from Coventry United Ladies. Hello, Nikki. Welcome to Switch Sport. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. No, it's, it's our pleasure. And we've now made the hat trick on the programme because you're now our third guest from Coventry United Ladies, which is great for us and great for the club at the same time as well. So we've got a fair few things we're going to go through during the course of the programme as well with you, Nikki. Talking about your journey and your thoughts on various aspects of the game as well. And But uh, let's start off, Nikki, in your early days, growing up in Binley Woods and uh, playing football with your brother and his mates. Did this experience help you to toughen you up and be a more confident person when you was growing up? Certainly. Football wasn't my first uh, passion when I was growing up. I did all sorts of sports, from dance, basketball, um, you name it, I did it. I was either in drama school as well, and football was my brother's passion and my, my brother's best friend's passion. It was the sort of thing we did in the street and go to the local field and we'd have a kickabout, and I'd be the one coming home in tears, covered in mud, especially if I got past my brother or did something well. Um, my brother's friends would wind him up like it and he'd kick out at me but that sort of spurred me on each day I'd still go back up and my parents would be like why are you going and I'd just keep fighting and battling against them and I think my passion just come from that and slowly progressing and becoming better and actually wanting to go and watch my brother play and braving the weather so yeah definitely in terms of they sort of introduced me to the passion of football and the excitement of football really and also, like, I did grow in confidence over that time. Um, I'd say I was quite a shy individual when I was younger in primary school, um, and that definitely brought it out of me. Nikki, your family also encouraged you to go to drama school, as well as, as you just said, trying your hand at other sports as well. What was that experience like at drama school? And during this time growing up, having all these activities going on to get involved in, did this help towards you want to reach out and support young people, which ties in with the work you do outside football today? So if anyone really knows me, would they call me a drama queen? I think a few friends definitely would. And it was, no, no, it was really strange that I went to drama school. Um, I couldn't sing and I definitely can't dance. So I think acting was the only thing I was pretty good at. But then football took over. But you never know. You never know where I could have been. But I doubt um, acting would have been my first point of call. I was very lucky in my childhood. I, um, I grew up with a loving family and had lots of amazing opportunities. And now in this day and age, seeing young people not getting that many opportunities, it is and me sort of being that voice for them and helping them support them through their difficult journeys at times and having the experiences I had and just sort of allowing them to follow their dreams and make sure they're following their passions that I did. So Nikki it sounded like quite a, an eventful childhood in terms of all of the things that you had going on in terms of the drama and the other sports and that that you were involved in. What was the one moment though that you would say where you look and go that was probably the moment where the light bulb moment that, right, it's football now is the route I'm going to take. So I played for a boys team um, when I was nine, ten, and it was just a bit of a fun. We, I played for Billy Woods at the time. I was probably the only, there's two girls in the league and we lost every single game of that season, but that didn't matter to me. I just, I loved just being out there. I wore like a massive, huge headband and it was just all about just getting out there and having a bit of fun and one day, um, a Comptry scout came up to me and sort of said, oh, would you like to come training? And I just was like, I just want to play. So I went over to the training ground on a Wednesday night and they told me that they play on a Saturday morning. And I remember the look on my dad's face and was like, you do drama on a Saturday morning? And from that point onwards, it was that decision I had to make. And I suppose when you're younger, those decisions don't feel like they're big impacts or it was a huge thing in my life. But Clearly it has been because I've continued my passion and pursued my football career and um, where I probably might not have done that with the acting or the drama school. 
obviously nine years of age, you know, you don't really have a, a full take on life as to what, what's going on or that kind of stuff. When you was playing for the, the boys team and then you found yourself going in on trial with, with Coventry, at that point where they said, right, yep, yeah, we want to sign you and you're going to play for us on a Saturday. How did that feel? I mean, again, are you, are your family Coventry fans? Was it just a case of, do you know what, I'm moving away from that because I'm going somewhere that's really going to help develop me in the women's game rather than mixed football? I used to go up to Highfield Road with my dad, had a season ticket and just going to watch them play. And Obviously, we are Coventry fans. Getting told that you can play for your, your town or your city is a massive thing and it is a really nice thing to have um, happen to you at the age of like nine, ten. And I think for me, it was more, I got more out of playing football, more excitement than actually doing other things. So I think for me, it was a case of, right, this is what I'm going to stick at and this is what I'm going to do. And obviously when you're nine, ten and you're putting a Cough City like, shirt on, what the men wear, it's uh, fantastic. And I had amazing opportunities to meet players and just, it sort of spiralled from there really. What was the family feeling at that time as well? Because as you were, you know, you've alluded to, you was a, a fan of Coventry, all of that. But obviously, I'm guessing that was quite a, a proud moment for them that their their little girl was all of a sudden playing for the the team in the city, so to speak. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose I've probably never really had that conversation with my parents. I suppose when you're nine, ten, you don't really see that, and you don't really hear the conversations your parents are having with maybe friends or family I'd probably say that my brother was very jealous of always now even today takes the credit for my football career but I'm not giving him that just because we played in the field or the park together. Okay Nikki so nine years of age then you're playing for uh, Bindi Woods at the time in the Leicester League and you're signed for Country City as well now from your point of view what was the training and playing environments like for both teams quite different and can you recall any successes you had playing at the time, whether it be for Bindley Woods or Coventry City at the time? But would it be fair to say that if you were age nine nowadays, would clubs like Coventry United ensure that you would only register with just playing with them as opposed to playing for two teams? Good question, really. So, and I've never really thought about this too much, but looking back, obviously, training was completely different. And I suppose going to play for Bindley Woods, was, it's a, it was a Friday evening kickabout down the local primary school and like the lads were there, the girls were there and it was grassroots football at the best and it was just a case of go and play, go and enjoy yourself and line drills and a game at the end and just how kids should play now. And then when I was at Coventry, it was a Wednesday night, a little bit more serious, better players I was around. I felt like I needed to make sure I was proving myself a little bit more. It was a little bit more pressure for you when obviously you're playing with better players and you know that you've got Aston Villa at the weekend and you know it's going to be a big game. So yeah, training was completely different. Facilities were obviously playing a grass pitch, you get a changing rooms. Facilities were better. Obviously my parents had to travel with me when I was playing for Coventry and obviously Binley Woods we travelled quite a bit because obviously in the Leicester League. Yes, I think coaching wise and staff wise it was obviously completely different in terms of your coaching badges now. I think for me, it was a case of I just enjoy playing and I just wanted to keep playing. And that's where, obviously, I saw my journey of me playing on a Saturday and a Sunday. And in terms of Coventry United now, to answer that question, I don't think they were. But they've got an amazing community set up and they just want to see young people achieve. And if that means they play for Coventry United on a Sunday or a Saturday and they play for another team or they're in another academy, I think they're fully to support that. I did, and I was fully supported, even when I was at the academy and it went into a centre of excellence. So I'd like to think that Coventry United would support young players, regardless if they're playing in a Coventry United shirt or if they're at an academy as well. You alluded to there about the fact that, you know, you've gone from line drills and stuff like that, Friday night kickabout before having a game on a Saturday, to now it's starting to get a little bit more serious, even at, 
you know, a, a young age, there's still an element of seriousness about from grassroots going into it would have been C of E back there or RTC as we know it nowadays, that kind of stuff. What was the big difference in the sense of, you know, you potentially playing for the boys team on a Saturday, three weeks times playing against Villa, as you've alluded to, you were playing for Coventry, but also you'd been doing your bits at Binley Woods. Was there certain parts of where you were playing from Binley Woods that you felt, you know what, I didn't really get that when I was playing for Coventry? What would be the, the benefits that you probably got playing for Coventry that you wouldn't have got for Binley Woods? Yeah, so if I'm really honest, I felt so at home at Binley Woods. Then I was treated really, really well. And it was just a case of me going to play with everyone else who was just starting out. And it was a really family-orientated like team to be around. And that's why it took me so long to leave the club. And in terms of Cov, my first season, I found it quite difficult at the age of 10 playing, not having a manager who was like my Binley Woods manager at the time and who it mattered if we won or lost. And if we did lose, like it could have been someone's fault. And I think for me, I look back at my under-10s and I probably didn't really enjoy it as much. And I've been down to a new environment for me, a new coach that I've never really like had adapt to me that way. So yeah, in terms of my first season at Coventry, it was completely different to how I thought it would be in terms of I just wanted to play football. And I suppose I haven't really looked into it that much when I was playing for a Sunday league side. Do you ever get to a stage where the early days, although it's playing for, for Coventry, as you say, did you ever get to a stage where, because it was different, so to speak, did you ever look back and go, have I made a bit of a mistake? Do I just want to go back to playing with the lads team, knowing that there was different benefits that you would get there? Or was it a case of, do you know what, there's a real perseverance, I'm, I'm playing for my hometown club. The flip side from playing away from Binley Wood as you are, no disrespect to them, playing against clubs like Villa and Blues and people like that. So it's a different kind of playing field that you're playing in. But did you ever get to the stage where you thought, I don't know whether this is all it's cracked up to be? No, I don't think I did. I don't know if young people or young children think that. I just think because at the age of nine and ten, you just really want to play football and I remember a game when I was playing against Leafield for Coventry and I was with that standard defender who just stood at the back near the goalkeeper in the seven-a-side pitch and when the ball came to me, I just kicked it. And it was, and I'll always remember that vision. And I think it just got to a point where I just found myself as a defender and I sort of was like, well, I know what I need to do here, but this is simple for me. Like, I do what I need to do. And that's always been the same for me. I've never been this fancy player. I just want, I do what I need to do and I graft and work hard. And I think I've always had that inherited in me. And I think if I felt like something was going, it was really hard, something was tough, I don't think I would have gave up. I've got a really supportive family. And at the time I had really supportive teammates. So I think it was a case of just working at it and keep going because I enjoyed the game so much. Having watched you play, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice when you talk about being just a, not so much of a player as, as you've just alluded to there. But in terms of... The being the defender first, and I, and I like the way you put that because I was definitely that as a as a bog standard player, not like you. You know, I was head it and kick it, and that was something that people just kept drilling into me. Even at them in them early days, where we look at RTCs now, and it's so so driven behind technical, technical, technical with the, with the young players. I'm not saying we try and manufacture players to not be old school defenders, but there's there's always going to be a, a time and place for that in the game. When you was at Coventry back then, was that something that they kept enhancing you to try and do and improve your technical game behind it? Or did they ever get to a stage where it was like, do you know what, you know you can defend, let's forget about that and let's just concentrate solely on the technical side of it? Because I think 
sometimes coaches that I've seen in the past have been guilty of wanting to try and perfect and, and produce the perfect model rather than going, what is this person's biggest key strength? I think I was really lucky as I grew up the ranks at Coventry, I was really lucky with the managers and the staff I had. And it did become that like family orientated club and we'd go on tour and yeah, there would be trials and yeah, you would see, you wouldn't see teammates one season after another. And, and it was an amazing feeling. And I think more of a case of you're there to enjoy yourself and there to play. And I think it, you are right in what you're saying. It is, it is a shame that it is driven into some players and some players then lose their identity and their sort of personality. And I think that's a shame because I think that personality and that identity of, of, of a young person growing up can make them into a player. That hard work, if that's one of your standards as a, a, a person, like that's the graft. If you're tactically and technically very gifted, you might need to work on other aspects of your game. But as I went through the ranks, it was more tactical and physical side of things. And I think they progressed that more importance throughout the years I grew up as I think I was just playing for Conch City and then it slowly changed into centre of excellence and the standard of coaches got better and the game started to develop and started to change and now we see it. So yeah, I do think technical and tactical is so important, but it's also about identifying those young people's strengths and go, do you know what? This person's got this in them. Let's utilise that and let's allow their personality or let allow that trait to come out a little bit more to develop their game. That's a really great point. And again, I know as we go into the show, we'll talk a little bit. It's not just a playing journey for you now. You are you are now quite heavily involved in the coaching side of the game as a you know a UEFA B coach. When you're working with younger players, is that pretty much your first thought? You know, you see every player as an individual and. It's about working with, you know, I don't like using the term weaknesses, but areas where younger players need to develop. But as you say, understanding what that person's character and, you know, personality is all about to almost try and help enhance what they're good at, but also improve what areas people might say they're not so good at. Do you take that into your coaching journey now? Yeah, and I think we've got to remember that these young people we're working with, they're humans, they're not just footballers. And even if you don't develop them and they go and play for England or they don't go and represent their city or their RTC or their first team, what have you done to develop them as an individual? And you might have changed their their life in a very small way, not realising until five, ten years' time they come back and go, oh, I remember that. And that has happened um, to... I've had players come up to me and go, oh, I remember when you did this. And I now play in a squad with players I've coached. And yes, it makes you feel old, but also it's a really nice sense of achievement because you've seen them go through their own journey and succeed. And I think you've got to develop young people and help and support everyone you're working with from day to day or who you see in the street. And you can make that impact on them. And I think allowing young people and young players to sort of develop their skills and their personality within football is huge because you could have a huge impact on them. I remember when I was under 10s, my coach shouted at me, went absolutely crazy. Um, And looking back, it was so unnecessary. That really affected me as a young person in terms of my confidence and how I felt about myself. So I sort of, I've seen that evolve in myself and I now know how I would like to be treated. That's how I put it into my coaching. I sort of, you give respect regardless of who you're with and where you are. And I think you'll gain that over the time. And I think that worked when I was working with the lads at Cov United. It took them a while to gain me a bit of respect, one being a female and then being teenagers. But 
over time with those sessions and me developing those relationships and allowing them to be showing their personality and be the players they want to be made a huge impact. We spoke a couple of weeks ago to Natalie Gibson and she'd been coaching at the RTC at Aston Villa while she was playing. And then she found herself as a first team player at the club playing with players she'd coached. Obviously, you're now at a stage where Sunday afternoon, two o'clock, it's three points and everything's there. So you might have worked with one of these players since 10 years of age. But the minute they're in the same dressing room as you and you've all got the same kit on and it's out there on a match day, is there a flick switch where you now become, now I'm Nicky Miles, the player, I'm not Nicky Miles, somebody who you coached 10 years ago. And if they need telling about themselves at that point on the pitch, you're quite happy to do that. But because of the environment you created for them all them years ago, they kind of accept it as, yeah, okay, I'll get on with it because the side she showed when she was coaching me back in those days. I like to think when I'm playing in terms of sort of guiding and maybe shouting at a few players, I'm very aware of who I'm saying what to and how I'm saying it. As females, we're all very different on the pitch. Some players are happy to be shouted at, some players not so much, some players need a little bit more encouragement. And I think when I was 16 and putting that shirt on and running out onto the pitch, if someone screamed at me, I would have found it really difficult. And I think you build that resilience over time. So when I do have certain 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds who I've coached for a while come on the pitch, especially in the league we're in now, and even last year, they need that support. They just need that little bit of confidence. And for me to just say, go on, let's go for it, well done. And the first five minutes, like, great start, helps them and ultimately helps us as a team. Because if they're coming on the pitch full of confidence and their first pass is a five-yard pass and it's something they naturally do every training session, but I say, class, that's brilliant, well done instantly they're going to go, do you know what, the next one's going to be better and I'm going to do this, I'm going to graft. And I think that's how I sort of see things. I think I try as much as possible to reinforce the good in people on the pitch because that makes a massive impact compared to all the negative things we can have because that doesn't help. This year, first year in the WSL, it's been quite a a challenging year from the outside looking in, I think it's fair to say. Changes in the manager, you know, players coming in and out. I think anybody who thought in year one, for me, I always looked and thought just staying in the league this year was Coventry's aim because if you look at some of the monster clubs that you're competing against, you know, just staying in the league and being competitive was was the aim. Did you ever find yourself on that brink at times where you're thinking, do you know what, we're losing the game, where you're going at half-time? Are you quite good at taking that step back out of your, your player's body and going, right, OK, now I need to put myself back into coach mode? Or have you found yourself... Not losing it, but from that point of view, do you find yourself, do you know what, I just need to take myself out for 30 seconds just to bring myself back in because you are mindful that you could be 3-0 down at half-time and some of these players, as you say, one or two of them might be able to tech being told about themselves, but there could be half a dozen that are quite fragile because of the situation that you found yourselves in. Yeah, so we always knew it was going to be a difficult season. As soon as we got promoted last year and we knew we were going up, we always knew from that point the hard work started there. So for pre-season, we knew it was going to be a case of the whole club working together, players pushing individuals and challenging each other and ultimately sticking together like we've done. And yeah, it has been a difficult start. And our ultimate aim was to stay stay in the league and stay up there. And in terms of sort of when we are, if we are 3-0 down, it is, it is psychologically really tough. And it's something I've always worked on because if I'm having a bit of a bad game, I then find it really hard to sort of shift my mentality. But 
looking as an outsider as well, and I can see myself sitting in the change rooms, I know players are probably looking around at me. Like I look around at Sue and I look around at Maz and who and Chelsea, who are really influential players at the club. And when I look at them, if their head's down, I know how that makes me feel. As a player, I try, even if I'm having a terrible game, um, if I've made three mistakes or gave a penalty away, I try and make sure the players around me are ready to go back out the second half. They're buzzing, like they get their heads up and we absolutely graft. And I remember we played, I think it was Tottenham this year and we were 3-0 down and I got everyone in and was like, right, we can either do two things here, we can either roll over or we can absolutely graft and put a shift in and show how good we are. And I think sometimes that nature, sometimes you just need someone on that pitch to do that. And I had uh, Natasha Lynch as a, a captain for so long and she did that. And now it's a case of, I'm not filling her shoes, but she was such a good role model to me and it inspired me. So I then want people to be like, yeah, right, Nick is going to get us in. And if I don't get us in, Maz will get us in and it's not pressure on me to do so. So I think it is so important that if we are losing or if we're not having a very good game, I've learned this season more so. And a little bit last year, if I'm not having a very good game, let's forget about that. Let's concentrate on the simple things. I've learned this from Jay. Concentrate on that first pass, concentrate on those little things I can do well and then make sure everyone around me is comfortable and we're ready to go again. We'll touch on a little bit later, more in-depth sort of look at uh, the success you've had at Country United, like promotions and cup success and things like that. But I just want to take a step back for a moment, Nikki. And it was during your time at the Centre of Excellence that you briefly got involved within the England setup. Can you share with us your experience of this? And looking back, was there anything that happened to you around this time from an England point of view that you wish you did differently? Yeah, so I remember we were playing Derby away and we played on the side at the time and I was uh, the centre half of the back three and I remember seeing a guy in a England trainers, a tracksuit and a cap and all the girls were, oh, England scout, England scout and I wasn't that bothered. I was just like, oh, great and everyone was fretting and it was a really hard game against Derby and I, it didn't even cross my mind at the age of 14. I was just a little bit like, let's just play. Like, I'm excited to play against Derby and I do remember having quite a good game but I was always really really hard on myself and I remember getting in the car with my parents and I used to sit in the middle seat and they just looked at me and I was just like oh okay and um, they just said oh England scout come and spoke to us today and took our details and the next thing you know I've got a letter through the post and I'm off to England camp. At the time obviously I was so excited I was buzzing I was having time for school I was going to play for my country I mentally found it really really difficult and wasn't ready and I suppose looking back I potentially didn't feel strong enough or good enough to go and obviously turning up and seeing so many amazing players from Arsenal from Manchester and all, all, all over the country and I was pretty much me and a few of us, I think there was two of us from West Midlands. And it was difficult. It was difficult being from, away from home. It was difficult to build those friendships with people that I've never met before. And I did obviously play against a few countries and it was an amazing experience. But I learned a lot about myself. I really struggled with the environment I was in and I eventually found that I didn't really enjoy going. I found it really uncomfortable. And I think that might be because it wasn't my time. I maybe sometimes was sugar-coated at Coventry and that's not down to them at all. That was sort of just down to, I was probably the environment I've always grown up in, very much sugar-coated for family or friends and it was all very plain sailing for me. So yeah, England was an amazing experience and it's great to say, yep, I've played against Germany and Wales and had that experience like getting to know other players and obviously I now see some of the players who are playing first in football and it's incredible. But I think for me... 
it just wasn't the right time over me growing up and stuff. I think that sort of just came away from me a little bit more and those opportunities then weren't there for me when I was 16, 17. And going back to that time then, Nikki, can you remember some players then who you now know are playing and are successful in, in the game today? Mary Herps and Kirsty Linnett, who obviously now plays for Liverpool. But I think you've got to be a certain person and really push through those tough times. And at that time for me, I found it really difficult. What age would that have been at with England at that point? So I represented them from the age of 14 to 16. As a young lady, not just in football, you know, you're probably going through a lot in terms of what's going on at school and, and all of that kind of stuff, going away from your country. And I think it's what was really warming to hear there was the fact that being so honest about the fact that at that time it might just not have been right for you. We've spoke to people who have been on the show who have played for England and have kind of alluded to similar to what you've done. But I think the way in which you're really honest about what you've just said there, it's not something that people should hide from. And I think that's a credit to you. But, you know, when you come out of the England bubble, so to speak, was there a time where you just looked and almost quite relieved I'm not within that? Because let's be fair, representing and playing with your country, you're in a minority of people in this country that have, are able to say that's happened. But did you ever feel almost a, a weight had been lifted off your shoulders or was it just a case of, I just want to carry on playing football? And then at that point, would you have been starting to go through education in terms of GCSEs into A-levels? So you was kind of able to throw yourself into something else to kind of put England to one side? I remember getting like a third or fourth letter to go to camp and I remember crying about it because I didn't want to go. Um, I am proud of that, but I mean, also... These are struggles people go through every day and I'm more than happy to talk about those, how I felt through that time because it's not easy and people do make the journey sound easy um, and it's not. And then I think when I was 16, doing my GCSEs and unfortunately my parents uh, split up and stuff, I think it was a bit of a tough time and I remember playing against Wolves at under-16s and I had a terrible game and uh, my manager subbed me, which rarely happened and uh, I remember him shouting at me and so was the, um, the RTC director at the time because England were there and they wanted me to prove themselves and they were absolutely right in what they were saying and I did feel like I let myself down and I sort of probably put football first at that time I was probably putting other social things first and I I spoiled my opportunity because that opportunity could have like arised again but I'll always remember that day at Wolves when uh, my management sort of shouted at me but do you know what they had my best interests and I think when it got to a point where I knew that I wasn't going to go back to England and I wasn't getting letters through the door and I think it was for me then I then started to focus on my first team football where do I want to go like that's my next sort of step and I think I took quite I I took it quite well in terms of obviously not going back to camp and then sort of going to watch a first team play and see how they play and sort of speaking to my directors of how I can make myself better and what I could do the next step and stuff really. So I think for me, it was still a big focus, but it was a different focus in terms of, right, I'm coming to the end of my centre of excellence now. What's next? First team football. I don't want to be a reserve player. I want to be a first team player. And how can I do that? I can resonate myself from my playing days because, you know, 15, 16, I I went through exactly the same. My mum and dad split up. Football at times can be a little bit of a release, but there's also, you do hit a bit of a ceiling. And I think, like you say, you certainly sound really, really, I'm going to use the term focused in terms of even back then, that, you know what, what's going on with England's happened. I'm now moving on to something, but I'm not content with being in the reserves now. The step from centre of excellence into first team is usually via the reserves, and it certainly was back then as well. So how did that journey then look in terms of, right, when you finished with the centre of excellence, 
did you go straight into the first team at Cov or was you did you kind of dip your toe a little bit in and out with the reserves? Yeah, so um, I think Stuart Wilson was the first team manager when I was still at under 16s and I used to like be a bit of a pest really and watch a bit of training and sort of try and turn up to their pre-season even when I was 16 and just sort of be around it and sometimes Stuart would ring me and be like right come on to a session then I'd obviously be with very big names at the club and I was still playing for I was still captain in the under 16 side and luckily for me my birthday's in November so I'm quite one of the older ones in my academic year as soon as I turned 16 in that November I signed for the seniors so I'd play for under 16s on a Saturday and then I'd only allowed a certain amount of minutes and then I'd be allowed to play for the reserves on a Sunday. So if I played a full game on Saturday, I could only have a certain amount of minutes on the Sunday and vice versa. Those sort of minutes got thrown out the window a little. I would want to just play full 90. But obviously playing for the reserves, you don't just turn up and play. It's a case of it's women's football. It's a massive step. And at the time, my PE teacher was also playing for the reserves. So I'd see her absolutely every single day, pretty much, um, as my PE teacher in the week. And then go and play on a Sunday with the reserves. And I think it wasn't until that sort of January, February time, I started putting, getting myself put on the bench, the first team and like dipping my my toe into first team football. So from that point of view, when you, like you said, it's, you sounded like, you know, that cheeky little character that was like, come on, I want to be in and around it. And I must admit, I was having a little smile to myself there when you said about minutes going out the window, because like you say, all you want to do is, is play. Did you notice much of a difference when you went from 16s into the reserves was there much of a a jump so to speak before getting to the first team yeah I definitely wasn't that uh, I was definitely that little fish in that big pond then so from being at centre of excellence and being that loud uh, leader and captain and organising I sort of came in and was very quiet and shy and just tried to do what I could at right back and the game just became quicker and stronger and you had to be a lot more aware. And I remember my first sort of game for the reserves and I was obviously really excited, but I mean, I was more of a rabbit in the headlights, just get going everywhere and trying to prove myself. And that sometimes doesn't need to be the case. In terms of your teacher, who was the teacher that was now your teammate? Anne-Marie Boyd. Is that a little bit surreal in the sense of, you know what, Monday to Friday, you, you have to call a miss and then on a, a Sunday you have to call her Anne-Marie? How was that? I used to call her by a name all week and she used to go mad at me. Um, but I'd be like, oh, but we're playing on Sunday. It's all right. She used to let it go, obviously, when it was just sort of PE and stuff. But when I was around certain people, I'd have to sort of call her by a name. It was really good. It was a, it was a nice experience at that time because there was like a role model or somebody who I knew would look after me. Even even when she went into management, she um, I remember a time, I think Jay would probably remember this, she, she was managing us and she stripped off her tracky bottoms and subbed herself on then subbed herself off. So it was a fantastic opportunity, obviously, to play for reserve football just to get my foot in the door with the women's game. So, Nikki, you made your debut in the first team, age 16. And as you mentioned there, your debut against a local derby, in fact, against Wolves. Now, being a player that had worked your way through the ranks up to that point, was there a consistency on how tactically teams would set up so that when you made your debut, the first team, from a defensive point of view, would set up in a similar sort of way? Yeah, I think there was a little. I think when you got to under-16s, they started to want you to sort of play how the first team or how the reserves would. So you sort of knew it might be exactly the same formation. You sort of knew your roles and responsibilities. I was a fullback at the time. So for me, I sort of grown into that fullback position. But sometimes at under-16s, I'd play as a centre-half. And obviously, women's football, I wasn't getting in at that centre-half position. So in terms of 
position or tactical awareness or the information we were getting, it was fed back down into the junior section, just to allow sort of the club to work off the same philosophy. And because of the years of dedicated service you've given to the club up to this point, when you in particular younger players join the club, do you naturally take it upon yourself to be a mentor to these players because this club has been so important to you and has an effect in your blood? Yeah, I suppose so. I've been born and raised in Coventry and obviously putting a Coventry shirt on every single week is it's a massive honour. And I do find it more now as I'm getting a little bit older more I look at my shirt and at the boots and I think oh it's got my name on the back and it's just a bit of a buzz and I think when young players are coming through we yeah we see these young players who are very talented and who've got might have a lot of confidence but ultimately when they're on that pitch they need support and everyone needs that sort of role model to look up to and I'm not saying that's me there's a number of players at Cov who are fantastic role models and encourage and support our young players and it's needed. I think you're in a team where everyone's going through different struggles and everyone's trying their best and everyone's battling something. So, yeah, I think for me, it is a case of making sure the young ones are OK, but it's also making sure Sue's OK or making sure like my other players are OK at the time. Like everyone's had a different day. You, call, you go, go to work and you come back and you're training and someone might have a really tough day. And you, it's just a case of saying, you're all right, mate, do you want a quick chat? And I think that's embedded throughout the whole team. Everyone looks out for each other and making sure if you're the oldest or the youngest, it's just checking in with people. Was there a period, Nikki, that you can remember from the point where, you know, you've alluded to, you was in the centre of excellence, you was then in and around the reserves, dipping back in, dipping back out. Was there a time where you used the term rabbit in the headlights, whether you were playing right back or if you was playing centre-half, but then you started to really become comfortable with what was being asked, even as a fairly young player at that time. And knowing that the goal was to try and get into the first team as quickly as possible, based on what you were saying earlier, was there ever a stage there where you thought reserves probably isn't enough for me? Or did the first team come calling before you was able to start thinking like that? For me, it was a case of, because I was playing for under-16s at the time still, there was no real big rush. Like, as soon as I got to that following pre-season, that was my time, I felt, to go, right, this is where I need to push on. But because I started making that move while I was still playing for under-16s, like in that February and that March, I slowly was getting on the bench for the first team. I was making like 10 minutes appearances or I remember my first game. So I was slowly edging my way into the first team at that time anyway. So then I sort of got myself into a position where right, I know I can do this. I know who I'm around. I sort of know my competition. And I know where I need to be with pre-season coming up. In terms of pre-season coming up and, and all of that, what age would you have been at that point then? Still 16. So in terms of breaking up for the summer, potentially going away, holidays, all of that kind of stuff, in terms of your dedication to training and all of that at that point, was you one of them players that thought, you know what, played a lot of football and it's going to be you know, six weeks off before getting back into it? Was your focus around it to go, I want to hit the ground running when I get back and I've got to get my trainers on and I've got to get in on the street and I've got to get in the gym and... And do work to be not just, you know, mentally ready, but physically. Seeing the, the physicality and the, the strength and the fitness levels, all the other players I had around. And 
I slowly started building friendships with some of the older players and they sort of inspired me to be like, right, they're doing it, so I need to do it. And at 16, I did used to love running. I did used to love going out and just having a run. And over time, my training has completely changed. I've educated myself so much more on it. But at the time at 16, I think I just, I still think I was going to the park with my friends and having a kickabout with the lads and having a football at our feet. And at that age, I, I still just wanted to sort of play. And I think it slowly started establishing that, that's where I was going to go down that sort of route and started liking the fact that I started coaching so yeah I think at 16 I just I just wanted to prove myself at that level and I think because it was I think because I knew I was capable and it was in like touching distance I just wanted to keep pushing through. That's another good point you've made because I think if you look at younger players nowadays that are in RTCs there's so much more to a training program isn't there nowadays than just a Tuesday and a Thursday you know there's there's heavy involvement now with sports science nutrition all of that even with working with like 12s and 14s listening to what you were saying there even at 16 it was just you I suppose to a certain extent you were still able to be a 16 year old there's almost a point of at what point do we let them going back to just being kids because at 14, 15, 16, like you've alluded to, they are young women. They are going through changes in their life. However, they are still kids. And just allowing them to go over the park and play football with the mates, it's, I'm not saying that that's gone away from the game now, but I think there's so much more focus and structure to what a training programme will look like. And again, what you girls go through with the first team now at Coventry, which we'll, we'll build up to in the show. What is your take on that? Do you think it's just a case of, do you know what, if you if you feel that you want to put your trainers on, you want to go for a run, that's still massively important? Yeah, I think it is massively important and you've got to have that social element. But I also think the game has changed so much and if you want to be successful and play at the highest level, all this exposure to sports science and nutrition is huge for those young players. And do you know what, if you buy into it at early age and you educate yourself and learn a lot about it, and I know a lot of RTCs do that, there's nothing stopping young players becoming their best. And they can still go and play football with their mates, they can still go and socialise, but it's just having that, embedding that sort of programme, not just a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Saturday, it's embedding that sort of lifestyle early. And I feel like, for me, I didn't sort of have that, I just wanted to play football and... I think the game has grown so much and it's a fantastic opportunity for girls at young ages, even to 16, going to senior football, have that exposure because they are going to be the future of football. And I think it's helped massively if young people are educated and I know that is happening um, because you're told to do something, but there's a lot of time why. I want to know why I'm doing it. And if that is the case, if you're getting answers for it, you know that you're you're putting yourself in the best possible position to play at the highest level. And do you find yourself... When you get, you know, some good youngsters come into the first team environment at Coventry, you know, you know, whether it be an under sixteen or whether it be somebody who's just graduated out of the RTC that, you know, might be a real talent, somebody that people know about around the club. Do you feel yourself having those honest conversations like you've alluded to there that do you know what, don't look at what you've got and disrespect it. It's embrace everything you've got. And again, because that's massive for that person's development, because it's not all fluffy and flowery is it you're now in senior football but these girls might need to really embrace that because a 16 year old now won't know any different and they certainly won't have understood you know what your journey might look like at 16 years of age so do you get closer to them players in the sense of right let's make sure you're giving them the best opportunity to potentially not necessarily make the mistakes you made yourself or other girls made but 
give them the best opportunity to go on and succeed and play at a higher level. Yeah, certainly. And it is so exciting when you do get a really good like a youngster come in and they're fantastic playing. You think brilliant, like it's great to have them at the club. And obviously, whatever sort of advice you can give them, that's great. And there's one thing that I always say, and I say it to so many young people who play sport. And even if I'm at work or I just see a kid in the park, it's please just stretch. It's something that I don't do enough and I never did and I just neglected it and that slowly has creeped up on me and I now do a lot of CrossFit and do a lot of fitness stuff and it's slowly making it very evident that I didn't do that as a kid and I always say it, there's a young player in our team who has struggled with a few injuries and I'm like, look after those ankles, mine were like glass at your age and it's just those little things that when you're 16, 17, 18 you think you're invincible and you think, oh, I'm going to be absolutely fine. It's not until you get to 27, you go, definitely should have listened to that advice I was given, warming up properly or having a cool down or neglecting that ice bath I should have had. And I think sometimes young players, uh, just like I did, neglect that and take on the advice sometimes and other times they may not. And they'll probably look back in a couple of years' time and think, yeah, probably should have listened to that person. But then also you might find that 1% that that person did listen to you and go, yeah, that made a difference. And that 1% could have made their career or their next appearance the best appearance they've had. That's a really good point because I picked up on that when we spoke earlier on in the show about you may have an impact on somebody's life, but they might not realise it for another five years. Even you speaking to a 16, 17-year-old now, or even potentially speaking to Sue Wood, who's older than you, you know, it's... I think we all have those moments in our life where we can say something. And like you say, it can, whether you're 10 years of age or 90 years of age, it will resonate with somebody and it will be a bit of a light bulb moment. And we don't necessarily have to be working with them in terms of coaching and all of that. And I think, like you say, it's, it's you're now bringing younger players into your environment, but you get that environment that they're coming into. And again, like I said, I think it's it, it's quite powerful stuff you're talking because you're not just having an impact on a on a footballer's life, are you? You having an impact on a person's life because, you know, the advice you're giving might prolong their career another two or three years. Because I had to start playing early myself because I was injured because I didn't want to listen to people and I thought I knew it all. And and when you look back on it now, you like I'd give my right arm against playing another ninety minutes of football somewhere. Yeah, and I think it's the same with younger players. Like they can, they still give advice to the older players and we still listen to them and respect them because you know what, they've got different journeys and everyone's always learning. It doesn't matter how old you are, it's all about those experiences you've had. And like you said, if Sue sort of gives me advice or it might be Shannon, who's one of our younger members, give me advice. Do you know what, you take it on because you might just, the next day you might go, actually, she was right. And at the time it might be in the change rooms, heating, you go, no, I'm not listening or that's not right. But actually you realise maybe in a week's time or a couple of days' time, actually, that person was right. And, you know, I'm just going to drop them a little text and tell them I appreciate them for that. So, Nicky, that leads quite neatly into what we've touched on already about the fact and regards to coaching. And uh, you've already stepped into the world of coaching, Nicky, through working with different age groups at Compton United, including the under-16s boys team as well, and working with the FA on the girls' development programme. Now, if ever the situation arises whereby you went into coaching full-time, would you like to continue coaching at a club level, whether that be for men's or women's football, or would you undertake coaching at sort of FA sort of level? Which areas of coaching would you feel we feel the most comfortable in developing and working on? I really enjoy doing my B licence alongside the under-16 lads, and I think that was because they were under-16s, they were lads. It was a completely different game to what I've always always known and always coached. And I think 
for me, if I did go back into coaching, which is something that I do really want to aspire to do, yeah, it'd be great to go and work for the FA or go and work for an RCC. But I think for me, if I was going to go straight back into it again, I think I would go back to the lads football just to give myself more experience with something that I've not always worked with. We should also mention as well, Nikki, uh, outside football, the work you do, programmes coordinator for the youth service as well. Has your job working with the youth service given you an advantage with regards to how you have been able to coach and mentor younger players? My coaching is sort of given me an advantage in my role I'm in now. Sort of coaching since the age of 16 and me developing as a coach, but also over a long period of time developing young players. I think it's just allowed me to give that passion back and Go, do you know what? You can be a fantastic footballer. You can do this. And allowing them to believe in themselves is such a, a really nice sense of achievement. You can walk away from a session and go, do you know what? That kid didn't have a very good session, but do you know what? What he said tonight has inspired me. And I think that's the same with my job. I think we work with lots of vulnerable young children and we work with lots of young adults. And seeing some of them just make those little changes in their life or going to achieve one little action is huge and just making those building those relationships and just giving them an opportunity to achieve something is huge and I think everyone deserves that everyone deserves to have a positive relationship and build sort of trust and self-esteem and confidence for their future and I think as Positive Youth Foundation who I work for we're constantly trying to do that through lots of different strands and programmes that we um, produce. Is your role becoming more of a challenge at the moment to ensure young people are receiving the support they currently need? I'm working from home and we've had to have difficult conversations with staff about being furloughed but it's been difficult working from home it's not easy looking at the same four walls all day and trying to engage with young people Um, we've had difficulties with a lot of our young people their routine has been thrown out the window massively their home life might not be fantastic and they might be going through different struggles but as an organisation we're still doing our mentoring programme we're still working with a lot of funders um, I've actually started hosting my own podcast with young people on different topics which has been really really good and really inspiring and it's another skill set for me to learn so yeah as an organisation we're still working with a lot of young people daily in the week doing lots of different workshops online um, which has been new to all of us as a staff team because we're usually on the ground working hard in the office or at our youth club on sessions. So it's a new avenue for all of us. I think picking up on what she said there, Kev, as well, maybe with, uh, maybe she might want one of our jobs soon if she's getting all this practice in podcasting. Um, but again, Nikki, and, you know, again, I think some of the work and when we when we spoke off air and, you know, we looked at the journey and I, and I think it's, it's really important because when we do speak to our guests, it's not just all about football. I think your journey in terms of the work you do away from football, it, it is really, really inspiring. And I think it's, it's so transferable because, as you've alluded to there, you know, you might not have had a good day at work and you just want to go to training and you want to feel that, do you know what, I've given something back today and you might not realise it there. But also the flip side, you know, if you're working with you know, vulnerable adults or vulnerable children, there's so much transferable skills from coaching, but also into the the mentoring and, you know, looking after people. But that also comes back the other way because I'm guessing as somebody who's coached, I coach myself, you know, working with the person first to help develop them play football is almost the most important part. And I think we do come across a lot, across a lot of coaches that want to develop the player first rather than develop the person. But if you can get to know the person first, the football side of it almost becomes a little bit easier, would you say? Yeah, massively. And I think that is... Um, it- that showed to me massively more when I was working with the lads 
they looked at me as a, a young girl coming in who played for the first team going, Who's, why is she coaching me? I don't have a female ever coach me. And I think actually over the time I sort of built a relationship with the lads and threw out a little bit of banter and they were like, oh, okay. And slowly building those relationships with young people and those lads at Covey United allowed you then to be like, right, I'm going to put a session on. I put a session on and they go, they go, oh, yeah, okay. And I remember my first session with Covey United lads, one of the lads shook my hand and thanked me for the session, which was really bizarre and I couldn't believe it. And I said to the manager at the time, I said, like, he shook my hand and he said, that just shows the impact you've had on them. And I think with my work, I realised the last year and a half, if you can build that relationship with a young person or just build that relationship with somebody, they're going to respect you so much more and you're going to find that they will actually do a lot for you. Building relationships and making sure you've got that foundation first will allow that young person to trust you, be more successful, listen to you. If you come in all guns blazing and sort of stamp your authority down before that respect is there, it sometimes can backfire. That's a good point. And I think, you know, uh, we spoke to Shani Jennings, one of our early guests on the show, and she made a point about she's a female coach, she works with lads, and it was almost a case of you have to go and earn that right because you're a woman, which personally I don't think he's right, but I understand culturally people might allude to the fact that men might get respect in football quicker than what a woman does. And I've come across some of the best coaches I've worked with are female coaches. So for me, if you can coach football, you can coach football. But you know, in terms of your your first couple of sessions with the 16s at, at Coventry United, and again, they might know that you play for the women's first team, but they don't know you. In terms of the first where... You know, you want to do a little demonstration and all of a sudden you, you get one out your feet and you ping 30 yards and all of a sudden they go, oh, OK. Do you think that that helps because you've got that playing experience? I think so. I think having that playing experience anyway and knowing, watching the game so much, I think that sort of allows you to become a better coach anyway. But yeah, I think I remember when I think we did, so I did a session or we did something and I, I think one of the lads said, oh, so you can play? And I sort of gave that banter back and was like, yeah, my right ball lad, you come and watch me play. And a few of the lads have came down and watched us play. And a 16-year-old lads to go and to watch their female coach is massive. It's, it's changing. The game has changed massively. And you would never have seen that five, six years ago. And we now have so much support from the lads set up and the lads side. They respect us as a, a team and we're one big club. And I think, yeah, maybe females do have to earn the right, but that's just because maybe how they've been brought up and they've just always seen it as potentially still a men's game and that's evolving now massively and you can see that as when I coached under 16 lads it only took a couple of weeks for that respect to be earned and I think that comes down from me wanting to build that relationship me being there for them it wasn't a case of yes I need my B license to be done but I was there for them I wanted to develop them and I think when they realised that and they sort of brought into what my sort of philosophy and my thoughts were, they respected that and we were able to continue our season. It's again credit to, you know, because I think it would be easy for a female coach who's doing a B licence, you know, you could have quite easily gone and worked with a girl's age group, but you've put yourself out there and went, no, come on, I really want to, I really want to challenge and stretch myself as a coach and I'm going to take myself out of my environment and I'm going to go and coach with the lads. And again, because you do come across as quite a confident person, there's always going to be a stage of still that vulnerability in the sense of, do you know what, 
I'm still a young coach. I'm still learning how to coach. You know, I might be able to play the game, but being able to coach and teach someone how to play the game is is two different things. Which which brings me on to my my next point. And I, you know, I look back at some of the managers you've played for over the years. You know, you mentioned Stuart Wilson. I'd be right in saying that you would have played for the likes of Paul Cudby, Craig Nichols. There'd be different managers that you'll have had over the years, you know, Jay Bradford and others to name, but a few. Are you one of them coaches that as you sit back in your planning sessions now that you'll draw reference to all of the coaching staff that you've worked with in the past? Because one word that I'm picking up that you're saying a lot is about your philosophy and all of that kind of stuff. So having played for different managers that may have had different looks on the game or, or ways that they wanted to play, has that helped you really bed in a philosophy now or, or do you still think there's still plenty to be learning as you move forward yeah I definitely think I'm as as I'm still playing I've sort of not embedded that coaching st- like that coaching style or how I want the game to play for me or a team because I'm not in that environment at the moment but I think over the period of different coaches from my early years all the way till now lots of different coaches I've worked with or have coached me have had an impact on sort of my coaching style and how I sort of take things from different people or take a session and go, I love that session, I'm going to try that, I might adapt it this way. And I think when I was 16, 17, 18, I sort of didn't really look at the sessions too much or take too much note of a coaching head. It was until probably when I really got into my coaching and decided that, right, I'm going to do my level two on B licence, I want to actually coach at the centre of excellence and challenge myself that I started looking and watching other coaches and going on other courses and taking little snippets. And I remember sort of someone saying to me, you coach like this person. And I sort of said to them, I coach like that person because I've coached with them for so long. I've sort of, I like their style and I like how they project their voice and how they demonstrate that way. And I think that's allowed me to become a better coach because I've so much experience and so much exposure to some amazing staff and coaches in my time. Again, without wanting to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Is the one coach that you you would say had the most up until this period in your in your life that was there a coach that made you look and think, do you know what, that's why I want to get on my coaching journey? And ultimately, has there been a coach that you would say has had the biggest impact on your coaching career to date? Probably two, really. In terms of when I was younger, massively, it's a coach called Terry Harvey. He was like my centre of excellence coach and he was so enthusiastic. It was like... It was like a party on the sideline and he was so up for it all the time and his demonstrations were so creative. And I think that the excitement just as a player was so nice. And I think I watched him coach over years and years and I worked with him and his coaching company for a little while. And I was a little bit like, I want to be like that. I want to coach. That's how I want to make young players excited about the game. And that allowed me to sort of take that on. And over time, I've tapered that and... I've not been overexcited as much as he was, but definitely sort of wanting to start my coaching career. And he sort of gave me that avenue to do that. He had a coaching business. I used to go to college and I used to go and do an after school session, which I used to be terrified of. I'd walk to a school and be like, my bag of football's on my back and there'd be 10 girls wanting to play football. It's me who's in charge. But he sort of gave me that stepping stone. So in terms of early years, in terms of coaching, definitely him. And then... I'd hate to say it really, someone who's really supported me and sort of guided me as much as I don't want to say this person's name, it probably is Jay, in terms of just getting ideas and her supporting me through my B licence and her going on her A licence journey and her coaching journey, she's had ups and downs and I think it's nice to see that someone else can do that and sort of lean on that person and 
I obviously have sessions with Jay and I say to her, that weren't great, that bit, mate. You shouldn't have spoke for that long. And I remember she was coming to watch one of my sessions and she timed me of how long I was talking. And we've clearly established that I'm a good talker. And she was like, that was way too long, Nikki. And it was all about her sort of trying to make me a better coach. And she's done that over time. But that comes down with the staff she's had as well. She's had some fantastic staff with her along her journey and they've implemented lots of different things that I've taken from them as well so like Gemma Davis, Joe Potter, they've been a huge impact in terms of the tactical side of things and the technical side of implementing that information and me taking that knowledge to players but also me taking that knowledge into my coaching journey. I've been really fortunate that I've I worked with Joe when she was a player at Birmingham and you know I was part of the staff and I think it's clear to see you know the way in which she sees the game and she teaches the game, you know, I, I really do believe she's going to go on and you know, potentially coach at, at the, the highest of levels. And so, you, like you say, you're mentioning some really good people there. Again, going back to your your coaching journey now, do you see B licence, is that enough or is the next step to look at A licence? Is it potentially look to to go into a boys' academy once you've once you've finished playing? I haven't really thought about it. I definitely think, for me, it'll be a case of just trying to get back into the coaching scene and sort of slowly get back into that and embed sort of my way of doing things and my style and just slowly building that up. And I think, yeah, eventually, a couple of years' time, I, if I'm now then not playing and I find that passion for coaching again and have a sort of team, I definitely would like to do my A licence. It's something that I've thought about, but at this moment in time, it's... Just in my B licence, I'm happy where I am at the moment, playing, and it'd be a case of slowly implementing that coaching journey. And yeah, getting my A licence would be a fantastic opportunity and um, our aspiration for me. Again, something I can relate to. I remember when I did my B licence and straight away it was like, right, I want to get on my A licence. And I suppose when you, you sit on yourself, reflect a little bit, it's like, did I need to be in so much of a rush? Because... I'm a big believer that, you know, qualifications are great and, you know, they're a piece of paper. That's what they are. You know, if you're a good coach, you're a good coach. I think sometimes as coaches, we can all be guilty a little bit of, do you know what, I want to do everything yesterday. And I think it's really positive that you've said there about, do you know what, I'm just happy just carry on playing. I mean, it certainly sounds like you've got a fair bit going on in your in your job. So at the moment, like you say, it's almost having that enjoyment of wanting to coach because, again, I can relate to the fact that when I was coaching, and I was going through my badges, I was also working as well. And it does become relentless. You don't get time to do anything. And again, I think that's really positive that, you know what, now I'm happy with where I'm at now. And, and again, hopefully as you as you move on through the years and that you go on to, to be a top coach like some of the people you've mentioned. I think I'm really fortunate in that position sort of to have really good coaches around me, but also be really fortunate that I've got my B licence, even when I'm still playing, to go forward eventually in the future. Nikki, on the pitch, you've had success in terms of league promotions, winning county cups and also the Premier League plate as well. What personally gives you greater satisfaction, a successful league campaign or winning a cup competition? I would definitely say a league campaign. Having such a long season and putting that graft in every single week just to get those three points is so tiring and so mentally tough. And you know that it's so important to try and keep that performance level so high. So, yeah, definitely it is amazing winning a cup and the atmosphere of winning that cup. But I think the journey you go on for a league title is probably more more impressive and definitely something that I would prefer to win. I remember when we spoke to... Sue, Jay and also Craig Nichols and I, 
I think it was a bit of a running joke that for a number of years, the Birmingham County Cup was actually renamed the, the Coventry City or Coventry United Cup because you guys won it so often. And I know you've alluded to the fact that when Craig was in charge, you were pushing for the title. And then when Jay came in, it probably took about two or three years, which was was credit to the standard of that you guys were in at that time. But knowing you were pushing and pushing for promotion, but there was others that were favourites. You know, when you went into those County Cup games where the pressure was on because you guys were so used to winning it year in, year out. And again, we see when you play against, you know, some of the grassroots teams and you used to see score lines of like 20 and 30 nil and the competition potentially didn't really get going until you played a, a Wolves, a West Brom, a Villa. Getting towards the end of the season, was that really the driving force behind? We're not going to win the league, but we make sure we win this cup competition. Yeah, definitely. If you're not going to win the league and you've got, you're in a cup final, that is your ultimate ambition. You want to win that game. And I don't think anyone ever goes on the pitch and says, oh, let's just sack this one off today. Everyone goes on that pitch for three points or the win or making sure they've got that cup in their hand at the end of the game. And I think there was a few seasons where we weren't successful in winning the league and you'd get to the County Cup final April and May and it'd be like, right, this is ours. And there was obviously a few moments playing against West Brom, who, which always a very strong side, and we come short of. But you know what? The following year we'd bounce back and we'd make sure that final again with West Brom or Villa, it'd be a, a fantastic final. And I think over time it sort of slowly has become a better competition in terms of some better teams are in their lives. But yeah, it was sort of a thing that there was pressure on us to be in that final and win it, I suppose. It's ironic. I was actually at a game at the Butts Arena when Birmingham Westmeads got to the cup final against yourselves. And the, the guy on the tan, I was constantly talking, you know, the women are now 4 nil up, 5 nil up. And wasn't it something like, didn't you go and win the game like in double figures or something like that? And I think that sometimes does put some of the, the, the grassroots sides in the competition off a little bit because they know if they get a back then, if they got a Coventry or that, it'd be like, oh, we're going out of this and, and all of that kind of stuff. But as you alluded to about, you know, playing Villa, playing West Brom, just want to talk a little bit around that transition from when it went from City to United. So, and again, we, we spoke to Jay around how that looked in terms of trying to convince the girls that, you know, you were playing for Coventry City. In women's football, they were highly regarded as, you know, a well-known football club because they're linked to to the men's team. And then you've got them and join the club like Coventry United that a lot of people, I think, first reaction might have been, well, who are they? And again, I think it's credit to the work that, you know, Jay and the staff are doing behind the scenes. That you, you know, I think it's phenomenal that you guys are getting crowds of like seven, eight, nine hundred for a championship game as players at that point when it was a case of right we're now going to go and play for Coventry United who are a men's non-league team at step five or step six whatever they would have been at that point was there ever any doubt in your mind that do you know what I don't know whether I want to be part of this journey or was it because it was just a group of players that have played together all you're really doing is changing the shirt that you're playing it's still the same group I remember the session or the training session we had where Jay sat us down in the conference room at the training ground and sort of told us. And I remember sitting there thinking, this ain't for me. I'm not sure about this. And I'll never forget that day Jay told us. And I was really confused about it. And I think for me, because I think I must have been, I I was in my 20s at the time, maybe 23, 24. I was, for me, I've been at the club since I was nine. I've always played in blue and it was Coventry City and that was it. And 
I think then, like you said, going from Coventry City to Coventry United, that no one really knows and you've always sort of played for that, that club. And I was a little bit, I'm not sure, and a little bit shocked. And it wasn't until sort of Jay said to us, well, you're just going to change your kit. That's the only colour and the only thing, it's going to be red and green instead of blue. And obviously it didn't go down well for some of the girls because they're not happy with the colours. But she pitched it to us really well in terms of nothing's going to change and it's going to be better for us. And I'm glad I stuck at it. And I think nothing really did change. It's only got better and better. And I sort of knew at the time when Jay was telling us that we weren't going to get anywhere with Cov City in terms of financially and pushing as the club want to go forward into obviously the Super League at the time, but now Championship. So I knew I had to trust the club and I've trusted them for that long. I was more than happy to continue that journey. But obviously it was a little bit strange at first where you think, oh, I'm going to go and play for a club. And I've had lots of young lads or young people say to me or even adults go, who do you play for? But now people are like, you play for Coventry United. I saw it on Sky Sports. I saw this, I saw that. And that is, like you said, a massive credit to the club. The people behind the scenes, the management, the directors, the volunteers are marketing and it's just growing and growing. And to be fair, if you're 15, 16, or if you're in the junior section at the minute, the club is only going to get bigger and better. So it's a fantastic future ahead for some young players. When you talk about you know the players not being happy from going from blue to red and green, because I can imagine you can the chaos trying to buy nice green boots wouldn't have been very good. But in terms of, was that the only time in your spell? Because let's be fair, you've only really played for one club with the exception of Binley Woods back in the, the very early days. Was that really the only time where you thought, oh, I don't know if I want to carry on with this, or has there ever been a time where you've thought, I don't know whether Coventry's enough for me anymore and whether I maybe need to look at something? Because I think when you're at a club for as long as you've been, it takes an unbelievable amount of self-control to to not be looking at what others are doing and and again, you look nowadays at social media and all the great stuff that goes on across women's football and every club, Coventry United included, are so receptive and promoting of the women's game. But I think it's fair to say that's probably only been the case over the last three or four years. Back in the Coventry City days, you know, did you ever look and go, I wonder what it'd be like to play for a villa? When I was under 16s, when I was one of the older ones, so near to coming to the end of my junior section, I um, was approached by Leicester Villa and Blues and I did go through a training session with Blues. But I, at the time, I think I was so focused on wanting to play women's football and I sort of knew Villa, Leicester and Blues were all playing at that highest level. And at the time, Coventry were playing in the Midlands Calm and I just I had to be realistic to myself and sort of be like, right, where am I realistically going to play women's football at? Am I, am I going to be pitching myself at a higher level or can I try and push myself into the Midlands Com, which we did, and I got into that team and we eventually got promoted into the National League. So I think I made the right decision. Um, my nan says to me every time I go and visit her, why are you still playing for Carve? You should have moved. And for me, it's just because nans are nans and she wants you to see you do really well. But I have done really well at Coventry and I don't think I would ever change my journey. I think I've made lifelong friends. I've educated myself and been around some amazing aspirational female coaches and male coaches and for me I feel like I've just been a part of the family and a bit of part of the furniture now and I want that to continue and have such a big passion for Compton United I want them to do so well and I definitely would continue supporting them regardless if I play or even coach at the club. Yeah and I think like you say it's you know as, as you move forward Coventry United as a club from the outside looking in I think if you look at the men's side this year you know they've 
They've had a phenomenal season in step five, but I think, you know, they've kind of lived in the lady's shadow because of the success, you know, yous have been having. And like you said, I think it's credit to Coventry United as a club, the fact that they've brought all of you over. You've gone from, you talk about your journey there being middle and calm days, then obviously going up into the Southern Prem, Stroke Northern Prem, whatever area, the, the sections you were in at that time. But you're now one promotion away from the top league in this country. I think that's massive credit to to how far people like yourself, Jay Bradford, have, have taken women's football in Coventry because, let's be fair, towards the end of the Coventry City days, the ladies' team could have quite easily fell by the wayside, couldn't they, and gone to the wall? Yeah, certainly. And I think I don't think the men have liked the fact that they've been pushed to the side, especially when we do so well. And some of the lads I speak to are very open about it. And obviously they've done so well this season. And they're saying, oh, we're in the limelight now. You guys have got to wait. And we do have that really good relationship with the lads. And um, that keeps building because the club keep building and doing a really good job. But for me and other players who have now left or don't play anymore, their ambition was to get Coventry to the Super League and to the championship, and I, pl- I remember playing under Craig Nichols. We won the league, but the FA decided not to put any sort of bids in or have anyone promoted. So we won the league, but had to stay where we were. And then obviously bids got put in place, and year after year there'd be something that we hadn't have in place. And it was really frustrating because you could do the job on the pitch, but ultimately if you haven't done the job off the pitch, we weren't going anywhere. And that just shows the, the massive credit and hard work behind the scenes from the club because I could reel off a million names, but there's so many people who have plugged together and made sure the best fit for the players on the pitch and making sure everything's perfect for the players, but also making sure they've got everything in place for us to go up. And obviously that dream eventually happened last season. How did that feel in terms of that last game where... I think you knew that. Am I right in thinking that when you won the league, you'd won it with a game to go or two games to go? I think we left it a little bit short and I think the pressure sort of got to us. Um, I think we were playing Cardiff. We had to win. If we didn't win, I think we had Plymouth away on the last game or we had another game after that. And I remember a week before we had a, a classroom session because people kept talking about pressure and what pressure was and how everyone was feeling. And obviously a lot of us wanted it so badly we generally thought on the day, what if we want it that badly, it might go wrong. And I remember Jay sitting with us and Joe saying what pressure actually was and it wasn't actually anything. And I remember the Cardiff game, we turned up and everyone was just looking at each other. No one wanted to make plans for after the game and everyone just wanted to get their game done. And that game will always stick in my mind at Daventry where I think it was 1-1 and Cardiff missed an absolute sitter. It went straight over the bar and it should have gone in. Or it was 2-1 to us and it could have made it 2-2. And I, I remember looking at one of the players and going, it's our day. And then obviously last five minutes, we scored two fantastic goals from Amy and Maz. So I think the celebration started at 3-1 because we knew there was only five minutes to go. But I think in terms of knowing, yes, you've won the league and football, I think I had a moment on my own on that day we finally did it and it was quite emotional because you've been on a journey for so long and you've had ups and downs and you never think you're going to get to the highest level and I think as a squad it was so uh, such an amazing feeling to be like right yeah we've done it as a club you know and I remember looking at one of the directors Jade and going we've done it we've done it and she was a kid she used to play at Coffer uh, many years and it was just that sense of knowing we finally got there um, and that was a massive massive achievement. 
I'm not going to lie. Again, as, I, as I'm listening to you, that gives me goosebumps because I just think they're special moments that you can go through a playing career and never win a trophy, never win a league. You know, you can fight relegation, but to go through all of the things you've gone through, you've then got it. Like you said, it's it'll be those little self-reflective moments that you can't put a price on, can you? You know, coaching badges can't teach you those things, you know. Stuff like that, I just, like I said, I think it's brilliant. And I think the fact that you've took a club the size of Coventry United into a league with, let's be fair, some massive powerhouses in this country in terms of, you know, Villa, Sheffield United, Leicester, all with multi, multi-million pound backing. And do you know what? You've gone up this year, you've been super competitive and you've made the most of everything you've got. You know, I remember going and watching you guys when you played Villa at Boldmere. And I think there's about 600 there. And then I was looking through as we were doing our research and I'm looking at games this year where you've had at a top facility, in my opinion, by the way, at the Butts, but you're getting crowds of like eight, nine hundred, and it's like it must be from a playing point of view. Then that young girl that stepped up into the the middle and calm and playing at different grounds to to now being back in your home city, playing in front of some big crowds, having got that promotion, I can just imagine it was a little bit. It's a bit of a fairy tale, isn't it? Really, it is really because we obviously played Daventry and we weren't playing our uh, home ground, and we were travelling to our home home, and it was. A little bit like it didn't feel like it was Coventry and we were just playing there because we had to. And I suppose the Butts at the time wasn't in the best conditions. But now going back to the Butts and everyone sort of knowing where it is and massive credit to the marketing team who have basically pushed and pushed in terms of getting as many people there as possible and doing lots of different events on match day. But ultimately, I think people come back because they enjoy the game. And it's really crazy because my brother's um, best mate's dad came and watched me play. And he's very football mad, all about the men's game, never watched a women's game. And he turned around and was like, I would definitely pay a comeback and pay and watch this. It is a huge credit to the club, the players, the hard work they put in. So many people have come to me and gone, oh my God, Nikki, this is amazing. Like, this is fantastic. And it is frustrating because you think, well, what, what are you expecting? What were you expecting from a women's game? Like something completely different? But ultimately then it's, it's also nice as well. So we're getting big crowds and we had the, the men there who were fantastic in supporting us and the atmosphere was incredible. And that just spurs you on. It makes such a difference. It makes a massive difference to you as players when you can hear that crowd behind you. And is there almost that sense of, I mean, like I said, I think it's a, I think it's a top facility with probably one of the biggest stands I've ever seen in, in non-league football so it's really hard to get a gauge of how many people are actually in here but knowing over the last couple of years you've been the nearly club in, is there almost that element of frustration that Coventry United could have had this two three four years ago if things had been different or is it just a case of we're here now we're here to stay and we're embracing everything about it because your point where people go oh I didn't expect it to be like that because I get that all the time from people I speak to in men's football going like, oh, why did you get involved in women's football? And I'm like, there's so much good about it. People don't know what it's about. They're often the ones that will come back because it is a good product that's on sale. Because, you know, like you say, you're playing against the Villas, the Leicesters, all big, big clubs. And, and I think it's a shame that people are a little bit blase about, oh, I don't know if I'd pay to watch women's football. But in terms of where you're at now, do you sense that frustration that you could have been there a couple of years ago if bids had been good? 
it would be great to be in the championship three, four seasons ago. But I also then realised, do you know what? Like I said earlier, the time probably wasn't right. And there was probably things not in place. And it could have seen us be relegated or it could have seen us then really struggle financially. And I think the club's at the best place it's ever been um, in terms of going up. And they've put so much in place and worked so hard to make sure the club is at its pinnacle at the moment and doing so well and that's only going to get better so for me I'm glad it happened when it did obviously it took a long time but I think the team we had at the time the squad we had the staff we had was perfect and that's only gone and got better this season. So Nikki from a personal point of view then how do you personally maintain your motivation to want to achieve more success for Coventry United and you've been affectionately nicknamed the general is this nickname a reflection on how you conduct yourself on the pitch? How do I motivate myself? I think I think it's just my passion and I think it's just I don't like to lose I like to I like to win I'm very competitive I like to see people do well and I think every time I put that shirt on if I'm not motivated there's no point every time I get my boots out if I'm not ready what's the point of me going on that pitch and it's having that excitement of playing and making sure that you're doing your role and winning that first tackle and putting that first header in and every single week you want to do better than you did the week before and I think just having a lot of good players around you motivate you, like having that support mechanism and knowing they're going to bust a good for you. So that's what you're going to do as well. So I think in terms of motivation, I think that just comes within like my heart. I think I just bust a good every single week and really try and push myself. I think I've been given that name and the reason I was given it is because I was described as like a Roy Keane. And for me, it is about wanting to win and I use my strength and my power in like different ways and I like to put a, a big tackle in and I like to get aggressive. But I've learned over the years that I've got to be calm and co- composed and I've got to make sure that I'm sort of leading and helping and supporting. And I think they give me the general because I am very loud on the pitch and I try and organise and I try and support and I try and encourage. And you probably can hear me before you see me on the pitch a lot of the time anyway. And I don't mind having that. I don't mind having that sort of role or having that name and I I think I'm just trying to play to my strengths um, in terms of trying to be a battler trying to be strong trying to be very vocal and communicating so yeah that's just sort of came with the nature I suppose. Do you think though from a team's perspective as well Nikki by you doing that sort of role and you being the general does it make it easier for other players like Sue Wood to actually carry out their sort of natural sort of role on the pitch as part of the squad setup as well? Yeah and I think with Sue she's very calm very collective very like very observant and will see things completely different to me and we need 11 leaders on there and like I said previously there's other players in that squad who if things ain't going well or things are going well they will bring people in they will talk to people and they'll encourage it's not just you hear my voice and sometimes I need that sometimes I have a player turn around to me and be like come on Nikki you've got this or we all need it um but yeah when you're on the pitch if I can see something that information's passed on but yeah everyone is sort of becoming those leaders and making sure and everyone needs that support throughout the game. I did like your point, Nikki, where you said sometimes you'll hear you on the pitch before seeing you on the pitch. And I think I can definitely allude to that from when I was at um, the game when I watched you against Villa. And I want to use that game as it was the only time I watched you this season as a team. It was a little bit of a topsy-turvy time at that point. Stuart Wilson had come in. So Jay was told at the end of last season she wasn't going to be able to carry on as manager, which I think is one of the most daftest rules I've ever heard that the FA have come out with, that she's got you promoted and because she's not got an A licence, she can't manage you in the, the level she's took you into. You had a couple of months where 
Joe and Katie Moran and then were, were around it. Then Stuart come in, had Christmas, and then not long after Christmas, I think it was the end of January, Stuart had gone. Jay then comes back in. And I remember watching that game at Bolvmere. I think you were 4-0 down within, it was about a 20-minute spell. And I think on the day, I think it's fair to say Villa were electric. You know, they were, they looked like a team that were champions-elect. And what's been the one thing, though, this year that you've noticed the biggest difference from when you won the league last year, which was less than 12 months ago, to what you have gone through this year in terms of on the pitch and, and the standard of the players and the, the quality of the league? I think the biggest thing is you're playing for 90 minutes and that 90 minutes is never dipped or you don't have a steady five. And I think when we went through, we're in the Southern League and we won it, I think we were very much, we could have a bad 10 minutes or we might go 1-0 down and we sort of knew that actually we're still going to win this game where in the Championship you could go 1-0 down within three minutes, you could be 2-3-0 down again. And the game is so quick and you've got to be focused. You've got to be concentrating for that whole 90 minutes. And that is the biggest difference because if you don't track your play or if you don't make that two-yard run, you could make a massive, a huge impact on the team. So for me, it's, it's having that concentration for the whole 90 minutes and just staying focused. And that is a really hard trait to have because as soon as you get tired or you physically get into 70 minutes, 80 minutes and you're very tired, you start to lose that sort of concentration and that sort of sharpness, that could uh, lose you a game. And I think we played London City Lionesses this year and we had a fantastic first half and ended up having to battle through the second half. And I think we lost the game in the last minute, which is a horrible feeling and so frustrating because we deserve to win. And that's happened a few times this year and it literally is managing the game in those last couple of seconds. And I think at times players... All of us as players have sort of had to take that ownership ourselves and say, how are we going to manage this game? Or we really need to concentrate on the last 10 minutes of making sure that we're tracking our runners and putting absolutely everything out on the pitch to get that, get that point or get that three points. So, yeah, definitely concentration and focus for me. I'm guessing as players, you know, you'll all be better for that, you know, in terms of broaching the league again next year, you know, hopefully in terms of the management side, hopefully that will settle down. Do you think you're far away from being able to start competing in and around mid-table with London Bees or London City? They're not clubs that are backed by the multi-millionaires of the Premier League clubs and all of that kind of stuff. Is that where you see yourself? You know, I'm guessing as players, you don't want to be fighting relegation battles year in, year out. So do you think you're far off being able to get into that middle group of teams? No, definitely not. I think we're, we're definitely a team that is so together and so focused that we can definitely compete at that level, even even further in terms of like a couple of seasons' time in the top three, I suppose. We, this season we've done really well. We've just come short on so many games. And if we didn't come short on those games, the league would look so much different and we wouldn't be fighting relegation. We would be sitting quite comfortably in the middle of the table. So definitely in terms of taking sort of understanding and how the game is played in the championship this year, going into next year, things will look a lot different. So uh, Nikki, then, we've touched on various things through the course of the programme. And uh, aside from coaching, when the time comes that you have to stop playing, let's hope that's going to be a while yet before that happens, would you still want to stay involved in the game, even if it wasn't from a coaching perspective? Yeah, definitely. I love the game and I think just being a part of it and having another role in it would be fantastic. There's so many different things. So I like the analysis side of it. I did that at uni. I obviously do a lot of CrossFit, so strength and conditioning. Maybe a bit of punditry now. I'm really good at podcasts. (laughs) 
but yeah, whatever opportunities come my way in football, obviously I'd take, uh, take a leap at it. Just moving into the, the quick fire round, Nicky. So it's just half a dozen questions. From your point of view, best player you've played with and why? It would be Natasha Lynch. Just because she's a home Cov girl, she was an inspiration to so many of her players and the, her way of her demeanour and how she sort of approached a game and the respect she had from so many different clubs was incredible. And she was an incredible defender who I looked up to and even when I was playing you could someone would get past you and you'd look behind you and she'd be there sweeping everything up and she was just a superb role model for so many. Best player you've played against and why? Jess Clark playing and I was marking her and she just her movement and the team the team she was obviously playing with were fantastic and I think she scored two goals past us and I remember watching it on the um women's football show after thinking where was I like she was just so quick and her movement was fantastic so yeah I'd say in terms of trying to mark somebody definitely her best boots and why are you a black and white copa girl or are you a horrendous pink and orange Nike specials black and white copa girl um I had copas for absolute years until they destroyed my ankles so definitely copas all the way through um I now wear Nike tempos and just black and gold very standard but yeah I'd say copas best boot by far what's probably the next thing that you look at from Coventry United's point of view that you look and go that's what can take us to the next level and the next level could be an established championship club could be a club that's pushing towards playoffs and that kind of stuff. What do you believe is that one thing now that's needed? Yeah, I think it's being established in that league and being a club that people look at and go, yeah, do you know what, it's going to be tough going to the butts. It's, they're a tough side, this is going to be difficult. So being established in that league for sure and then competing middle of the league and the top sort of flight and setting that foundation and going, do you know what, clubs are scared to come to us. The next two, you're the first person that I've asked this question to because I'm guessing this is going to be really difficult for you now because I'm going to ask you to answer them both in one word describe yourself as a player um, a motivator describe yourself as a coach passionate you have to put together a five-a-side team of what team would you pick and why uh, the only stipulation is you have to have a goalkeeper and you have to have a captain you can play whatever formation you want and depending on what your five are we might be generous and give you a sub so definitely Sue wouldn't goal because Sue is the best keeper in the world <laughs> safe and Sue we call her I'd have Lynchy in defence, but nobody can get past her. I'd have her on her own in the back. I would have Jade Formerston in midfield. Very good with her feet, very tricky, very sharp on the ball. I'd have Amber Hughes also in the midfield. Very similar to Formo, very sharp, very fast. Good with her feet and can score goals. An out-and-out goal scorer who just scores goals for fun and is in the right place at the right time, I'd say Amy Waffen. For the second week on the bounce, we've had someone who's picked their five-a-side team and they've not included themselves. So, firstly, why haven't you included yourself? Don't need me in a five-a-side team. I'll manage. <laughs> OK, fine. That's fine. So, who would be your one sub? If it was a case of 40 minutes down, power league, you know, that can be quite intense. People need a breather. Who would be the one sub you would have and why? It can be any position. I probably would have a Maz Gauntlet just for the fact that she can play pretty much anywhere. She's always grafting. And to be fair, five sides always a good laugh and she would be um, a good laugh to have in the team with me. Yeah, that's good side, that. That's good. Thank you. Kev? 
It just leaves me to say, Nicky, on behalf of myself, Ross Thorpe, and all the team at Switch Radio and Switch Sport, thanks ever so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Fascinating journey. You really are a shining example of a, a one-club player who really cares about the team you play for, and you certainly care about looking after the players as they come through the ranks, the younger people as they come through. Take care. Look after yourself. All the best. Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch.